0: Welcome to the
1: Your Houston Podcast. This is your host, Nicholas Hall. This is your co-host, Mario Castillo. How are you doing today, Mario? You know, I had some Shipley's for breakfast this morning, so it's going to be a good day.
0: Shipley's everywhere. Uh, I've heard they've got good coffee and kolaches. And donuts. You can't forget the donuts. Well, you know how I am with sugar. Uh, But today's guest I'm very excited about. We've got Beth Martin from B-Cycle. How are you doing,
1: Beth?
2: Hi, everyone. Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Also had Shipley's this morning.
1: You know, I think there's something um, to be said about having Shipley's to start the day. I just wonder how many times we can say Shipley's so that maybe (laughs) they will sponsor us for our next show.
2: Yeah. Is it a Texas business or is it a Houston business? I mean, I think it's.
1: I think it's Houston. You know, there's the big Shipley's Krispy Kreme debate. And when Krispy Kreme came into town, there was a big rivalry. I've heard Mm -hmm. Shipley's has phenomenal coffee
0: in all of their locations throughout Houston. Um, (laughs) You heard it from us, Shipley's. Come on, come sponsor us.
1: Well, we're really excited to have Beth Martin here. And for folks um, who are listening, we'll give an introduction. Beth serves as the executive director for Bike Share, which operates Houston B-Cycle. And she also serves on the Your Houston board and is one of the co-chairs for the Mobility and transportation work group. Um, She has been the deputy chief of staff to state representative Jean Wu and went to Rice University where she got her bachelor's in political science and also played on the women's soccer team. There we go. We're super excited to have you here today, Beth.
2: Thanks so much, Mario. Really happy that you guys asked me to come on. I love love talking about uh, transportation and bike share and there's a lot going on.
0: Yeah, there is a lot going on. And before we get to all of that fun stuff, I've got some some questions I'd like to to ask just to break the ice a little bit, you know? So what was your morning routine before COVID?
2: It honestly hasn't really changed that much, except that I'm like, of course, getting up with less prep time now that COVID's hit because I'm working from home a lot more. I'm not going to the office as much. Um but, you know, I'm definitely upping the hygiene because of hovik. Yeah, no, I um, I am really the only change is that I'm not, I don't need as much lead time in the morning because I'm not trying to look as presentable, although I am focused a lot on this area and above because I'm taking a lot of, um, and for people who are listening, I pointed to my shoulders upward. Um, because of course I'm taking a lot, a lot of virtual meetings where I'm on video talking to, um, my team members or stakeholders, board meetings, you know, so it really has how we're doing our work has changed immensely for me, but I feel like I'm a lot more productive.
0: That's good. Uh, so who's your favorite soccer player?
2: I mean... I really liked um, just the attitude and pizzazz of Brandi Chastain. You know, she was the female soccer player that like ripped her shirt off and like, you know, was like just super powerful. I mean, I also um, like Mia Hamm, of course, is always going to be somebody that I looked up to because as I was playing soccer, women's soccer nationally was getting a lot more attention. So, you know, it's not all that creative of a person that I'm picking, but I was like, that was when I was growing up. It was when the women's national team was like suddenly popular in America and people were, ta- were paying attention to women's soccer. So it was awesome.
0: Do you have a favorite male soccer player?
2: Um, I do. And I can't remember his name right now. Um, okay. I think, I think it's um, I can't remember. right now. Um,
0: Nobody
2: current, nobody current. I don't have a, a favorite for anyone current. So
0: when you played soccer, what was your morning routine? What was a typical day of a oh soccer player?
2: I was up at like five in the morning for like 5.30 or 6.00 AM uh, weight workout, you know, where we had a whole, and it what that was during season, right? So like it was, well, no, that was during preseason because we didn't have that crazy of a workout schedule when we were in season. Um yeah, it was just these crazy early morning workouts. Then I would, you know, groggily go into the weight training room, work my butt off, come back to my dorm, change, get to class, then show up by 4 PM on the field for practice. You know, we got a day off to rest before something light before a, a game, you know, but Man, that was—I feel like that was so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> a lot but has I look changed. back on that so fondly. It was—it definitely felt like boot camp. You know, I mean, it was—it was a job. It was—I paid more attention and spent more time playing soccer than I did studying, for sure. And I went to Rice. Like, I mean, of course, wow.
0: soccer—I would do. Um,
2: oh yeah, like I during season it was my entire focus, and it was kind of a shock when I stopped playing. I did play like recreational and indoor soccer afterward, but I didn't like doing that because, because I had such a high level of play and I was playing with people that weren't as good, you know, my risk of injury, just like running into people who were just going to like not know what they're doing went up really high. And then I didn't have a trainer (laughs) on (laughs) half anymore to fix me up because Um, I'm not a student, you know, I'm not a student athlete anymore. So
0: you're saying you're pretty good at soccer. Um, Oh,
2: I mean, anybody that plays collegiate level is going to be pretty good. You know?
0: Yep. I figured much, which is why I have my favorite question that I'd like to ask. Since you deal with bicycles, could you do a bicycle kick?
2: Ooh, I think I have done a bicycle. That is such a great question. <laughs> I'm giggling. You can't, I'm just chuckling um, inside. That's such a great question. I think I've done maybe one or two beats. Uh, I almost said B-cycle, B-cycle kick. kick. There we go. <laughs> <I almost> said, <laughs> that was, that's where I
0: was going with this, you see. I...
2: How did you know to do that? Um, oh my God, that's so funny. I i think I may have done one or two bicycle kicks in my entire uh, life. Um, part of the reason is because I'm not a forward. I always play defense and typically you're doing bicycle kicks. Uh, that's not true. I guess you can do bicycle kicks all around the field. I feel like I've seen most bicycle kicks happen as kind of a Hail Mary trying to get a goal in. But I have also seen some crazy... Um, Risky defenders do it. I don't think it's very smart. I was a very safe defender. I was like clearing balls out normally, (laughs) not like trying to get a foul. Like, I mean, that's just asking for the ref to call a foul on you. If you're, if you're doing a bicycle kick from like the penalty box out to try and clear a ball in, I mean, you could (laughs) run goal or you could get, you could risk yourself getting a penalty kick. I mean, that's just not smart.
1: I'm glad I got to ask that question. Uh, Great question there. (laughs) Now, talking about bikes, for folks who aren't familiar with Bike Share, B-Cycle, or maybe they've seen the station around town, uh, can you tell us what it is that the organization does and um, why it's important?
2: Sure. So um, Bike Share is a public transportation system where there, and there's different types of, of kind of bike share or micro mobility. Houston B-Cycle is a dock based system, which means that there are stations throughout the city that have um, docks that fit bikes into them. And so we right now have 111 stations situated throughout Houston, mostly in the central area, uh, the central Houston area and the size of these stations range from, I think, our smallest is seven, and we really don't have many of those, so they fit seven bikes in. And I think our largest one, maybe thirty-three, um, and situated at uh, probably the University of Houston campus. I think we have one of our largest stations at Rice University, actually. Um, and they're just they're like I said, you know, I've, I've already called out a couple points of interest in Houston, but they're at some of the most popular places that you want to go and visit in Houston as a resident, as a visitor. One of our most popular stations is at Sabine Bridge, which is along the um Buffalo Bayou. Yeah, yep. it's along the Buffalo Bayou. Um Eleanor Tinsley Park is a part, a very popular park that's also along Buffalo Bayou. We have a station there as well. Um, we have two stations in Memorial Park. We have most of our like I would say the highest number of stations in a given area are in downtown because that's a very dense area. We have three around Discovery Green. So the the point is that you put stations throughout a city and people ride a bike, check out from one station, they can return it to the same one, or they can take it to any other of the 110 stations in the system. What's it cost?
0: What's the typical ride cost?
2: Yeah. So there are kind of two different types of riders. We have members that pay either an annual or monthly rate and the annual rate is $79 a month and a month, sorry, $79 a year and the monthly rate is $13 a month. And when you're a member, you get unlimited hour long trips. So what that means is you can take a bike out and use it for 59 minutes and then check it back into a station, you don't pay anything extra. And you can you can check another bike out and ride it for another 59 minutes, right? So that's what we mean by unlimited trips. You can take unlimited 60-minute trips. If you exceed those 60 minutes as a member or as a casual rider, and I'll talk about that in a second, you, there is an overage fee. So there's a $3 per 30-minute overage fee that starts being charged to you And the reason for that is we want people to remember this, these are public bikes. They need to be returned to the system that they're, it's different from, you know, they're very similar in a way to a traditional renting a bike, you know, a rental bike, a bike rental service, Right. but really meant to like continue to float throughout the system and be used by multiple people, um, for transportation and of course for recreation. So the other type of user is a walk-up user or a more casual user. That person is paying $3 in tax when they go. They walk up to a station and they can use their credit card at a station kiosk and they can check out a bike and they get 30 minutes of ride time. If they go beyond the 30 minutes of ride time, they start to get an overage fee for every additional 30 minutes they're keeping the bike out. So we really encourage people becoming a member. If you're gonna be using bike share all the time, become a member. I mean, $13 a month, $79 a year, and you get unlimited trips, that's amazing. And it's one of the most affordable pricing structures um, out there. Our our casual walk-up rider, the $3 per 30 minute rider, that's also pretty uh, affordable when you look at other um, walk-up pricing structures comparably.
0: That's good stuff. so with COVID, have you seen an increase or decrease in ridership?
2: It's been crazy. Um, this, I think the silver lining of the pandemic has been people seeking outdoor activities and ways of moving about the city safely because they either don't feel comfortable um, using traditional forms of public transportation like a bus and, and the rail. Um, we've seen way less cars on the road because people are working remotely and they, they don't have to go into work. And because there are more people staying at home than normal, they want way, they want activities and things to do. Um, so we have absolutely seen, uh, a, an increase in our ridership and it, it, it went beyond what we predicted. We could never have known this would have happened in the pandemic. Um, May was crazy. I think. We had the most, I think that was our highest month of rides ever in our program's history. We had 33,000 trips above just in the month of May. And, um, you know, everything's relative when it comes to bike share. Like if you, if you asked New York City for their numbers, I mean, they have a really large system. So 33,000 trips for them would be like, what happened, you know, but we're the size of our A bike share system, and given what the numbers have been before, thirty-three thousand trips in one month in May was just incredible. Um, And we noticed that in starting to happen in April, and then it really bumped up in May and June and July have been solid so far. So bike share is booming right now. It is. We've seen an increase also in new people using our system, and we can tell that just from the customer service calls we're getting. A lot of people who have never used it before are calling. They're trying to figure it out. So that's another indication of like, okay, it's not just a normal, new, um, new portion of new people coming to check out bike share. It's really increased a lot.
1: And so you mentioned the impact COVID's having on ridership. What has that had on your operations in terms of keeping the bikes clean, maintaining them? keeping the stations up and running?
2: Yeah, um, this has been the most challenging climate um, to operate a business in. I mean, just as a, we had to completely rethink how we were doing our operations and we had to think very quickly back in March. Like I remember very clearly being aware of COVID the week before um, I would say like end of February is when I kind of first started paying attention to it. Then I remember very distinctly the mayor's um, press announcement where he was canceling the rodeo. And that was when I was like, oh crap, things are like, things are serious. If he's gonna cancel this, one of the largest rodeos in the world, like the largest charity rodeo in the world is being canceled they wouldn't make that decision lightly. So that was when I was like we have to think about how we're keeping our staff safe. Do we shut down? Do we keep going? Like what and that was when we had to be really nimble about it. So in those first couple of weeks, we bought and we we bought as much disinfecting kind of household disinfecting stuff we could get our hands on. We tried to purchase, you know, cleaning products from Amazon, everything was kind of out. It was very stressful. And it was very inefficient because we were essentially, we we have a normal routine of cleaning our equipments, right? That was just pre, pre-pandemic. pre That was something we always did. Anytime a bike came through the shop, it was getting hosed down. like So that was normal. But we had to add a layer, an extra layer of like disinfection and like protocols that would protect our staff. So From the beginning of March, we have really evolved our protocols, right, to keep up with the CDC recommendations. So it started out with all these ridiculous cleaning products. Then it turned into, you know, let's make sure that we're staggering our work shift and changing how people are working in the office together. People were sent home, you know. And then we got our hands on a a solution called Vital Oxide, which really made cleaning our equipment and disinfecting our equipment really efficient. And we hired contract workers to add an extra layer of spraying down our equipment in the field. Um, And of course, our mechanics in the shop were using disinfecting um, solutions in the shop every time they touched a bike. Of course, what that's done, think about it. You have ridership increasing you have operations now kind of slowing down because of all of these extra steps and extra measures. So we have seen a kind of, we've been struggling and have been very challenged with keeping our operations running as smoothly as it has pre-COVID. That has absolutely been um, a major challenge. And my team, my uh, team of mechanics and field technicians really, Really, everyone that works for for this nonprofit for Houston Bike Share has been working incredibly hard this entire pandemic, um, and it's not been easy. You know, this is—I think—it's hard on everybody. It's a stressful situation, but the good news is people are seeking out bike share. The tough news is that it, we gotta we've got to adjust. We've got to grow. So yeah, we've also hired, and we're currently hiring. Uh, contract mechanics. So send people our way because like we have so much work to be done. Um, again, because bike share is, is gaining a lot of momentum right now, which is a good thing.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a great thing. If you're out there and you're listening and looking for work, um, you know, there are people that are hiring. So and I also appreciate the top. I think this is a, a really good positive topic for what we're dealing with in COVID is that we're seeing people actually accessing different modes of transportation and and otherwise experiencing Houston, the city in and of itself, in a different way. There are people that may not actually feel comfortable out there riding a bicycle. However, with the reduction in traffic, perhaps they felt like, you know what, it's worth a shot or I'd like to try something new. Um, So I'm just curious, if these bikes go outside of a perimeter or outside of a certain distance from the station, Is there a limitation, like does it automatically lock up or how do you keep bikes from being stolen?
2: So what you're thinking of Nick are dockless vehicles, dockless micro mobility bikes or scooters, because that like perimeter thing that you asked about is when um, those are free floating. Since our bikes lock and dock into a station, If you check it out, you put your credit card down and it's tied to you. We know who checked out the bike. And if you keep that bike out, you're accruing charges on your card. So we do, we are challenged in every bike share businesses. I think whether it's dockless or dock based with vehicles going missing with, um, you know, bikes and scooters going missing, um, we have a pretty great, Process with our local law enforcement. We we make sure that we build relationships with um, not just Houston Police Department, but also the management districts and TURSAs that have their own little um, patrol officers, right? That um, do patrol the streets and they're focused on graffiti, you know, gra- graffiti abatement and stuff like that. So we keep a running list of the of the bikes that have been overdue or gone missing, and um, but only some of our bikes have a gps tracking device not the 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 large majority of them do not they have an rfid chip in them which basically communicates with the kiosk and it tells us you know the bike id number that was docked into the station right and so of course when the user checks out that bike they are affiliated with that bike number we know who last had it right so then we'll call that person and figure out you know where's our bike um what I will say that is exciting news is that um, the, the bikes that have the GPS tracker have been electric bikes that have been in our system that we piloted. So we have five electric bikes that we've piloted for the last year. And those guys are fun. Um, they're ridden two to three times more than our classic bikes. And we only have five in the system. of We're, clo- we're getting close to 1,000 bikes right now. Um, But what's really exciting, and this goes back to why we're looking for people to hire and why Bike Share is booming, um, is because we are growing exponentially. We have, I mean, we've talked so far about ridership during the pandemic and kind of how our operations have changed, but that's just like day-to-day operations. We have a whole set of strategic projects that are going to grow, that we're working on right now to grow the system from 111 stations right now to 160. We're also still getting through our our federal grant, which is going to add another 20 stations um, to the system by the end of the year. Yeah, so we have been working like crazy and we've been meeting with management districts and TERSs and council members and People are excited about the work that they're doing, and we're definitely seeing the funding commitment. People forget and don't fully understand that we're a nonprofit, you know, and that that is a very unique role for us to be running and operating a bike share system, which is, you know, we're contracted with the city of Houston to do that, but we get zero money from the city of Houston to do it. That is, yeah, exactly. That is a very unique thing, that you don't see a lot of another suit. I we didn't are, know that at all. Yeah, we are really, truly a self-sufficient business. Um, and while like any nonprofit has to kind of identify their funding sources. So they'll say, okay, out, the rider, the revenue we get from our riders is essentially our program service revenue. That covers only about 85% of our operating costs. So we always have to be thinking about who is going to come in and help us fund that 15% and then some to help us grow, right? So we can plan three years ahead, five years ahead. That's just operating. Then we're looking for funding support to expand, right? And we, we don't want to dip into any of our very limited operating funding sources to go do that, which is why having people like Commissioner Ellis support this program for expansion by giving funding support, council members giving funding support, management districts and tours is giving funding support, businesses and developers giving funding support. The list goes on, right? Houston Parks Board has helped us out. Buffalo Bayou Partnership has helped us out. Herman Park has helped us The list goes on. We have a great community of people that care about bike share, but Houston's capable of giving more. So I'm kind of using this as like a a pitch of like, invest in us, invest in bike share because we're clearly people are looking for other ways to get around the city. There's a ton of momentum. There's a lot of bikeway and pedestrian improvements being built right now in Houston that the mayor and commissioner Ellis are working on. Um, so it now is the time to really rethink, um, how we're creating the right infrastructure for people to have a better quality of life. And when you can walk and bike places that you want to go, your your quality of life improves.
1: So you bring up a really good point there. And there's still a perception that Houston isn't bike friendly. And when you look at statistics for cyclists that are injured or killed in accidents with cars, you you have folks that want to bike or want to try a B cycle but don't feel safe. So what do you say to people? What's your what's your suggestion or advice to folks who want to bike but are nervous about biking in Houston?
2: Well, um, I always suggest take some friends. You know, don't bike alone. Go go with some friends and you know, not, not to be self-serving, but go, go try out a B-cycle bike because that's easy. You, you don't have to own your own bike. You can go to, it, it's a fun outing with friends, check out a bike and ride it on one of our trails where you don't have to deal with cars. You know, all you're really doing is you have a safe bike way that you can ride on to get, get the hang of it and figure out, you know, your comfort level and just keep riding um there are are a lot of social rides so like once you start feeling more comfortable on a bike then start looking for you know this is a little bit pre pandemic so like i'm not trying to encourage people go out and like join big groups of people right now you know i absolutely you know gatherings of no more than 10 are st- is still a recommendation so i'm not suggesting that people go do this but you can very easily socially distance on a bike i'll just say so like if you go and meet up with a group of friends it's very easy for you guys to kind of keep six feet of distance from each other. Anyway, group rides are also really fun because as you get more comfortable, you can then start getting used to riding on a roadway. So I'm a very comfortable rider and I will ride a bike on the street. Um, That takes like a, a certain level of confidence and knowing kind of how to ride with traffic, right? With cars. And so going back to your question Um, Mario, just about like Houston's reputation and people are kind of afraid of riding a bike in Houston, Houston's car centric, all this stuff. We can change that reputation really easily. Houston is a really bike, bike bikeable. First of all, we're flat. We're building a lot of uh, bikeways and pedestrian roadways. Um, There's a lot of beautiful trails that people can actually use instead of the road to get where they want to go because of the great transformative work that Partners like Houston Parks Board, Buffalo Bayou Partnership have done for the Bayou uh, Trails. Um, And and honestly, those are so cool because you can connect right now from the heights into downtown. You can avoid roads. You can avoid the highway. And you're actually like it's like a subterranean um, trail to, to connect from the heights to downtown. and the temperature's cooler. You know, anyway, there's just so many benefits to using a bike to get around the city. And I would just challenge anyone, you know, you think Houston's not bike-friendly or bikeable, and it, it is. The biggest thing that we need to work on about that, though, is driver attitude and just culture and perception, right? That gets changed when more and more people decide to use a bike to get around.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, biking in Houston, if not on a bike way or bike path, is definitely something that, you know, you, you have to have some skills um, and be very aware. Uh, so,
2: But there are a couple, Nick, there's a couple, let me just add, there's a couple protected bikeways that have just been built that are in the roadway that are beautiful. They're protected. So oh, yeah. people ride, yeah, so there's a north-south bikeway um, Green Lane right now that passes right by uh, near Discovery Green and Phoenicia downtown that has the Armadillos. That extends up to Hardy and Elysian. There's another one now that's that's been put in that's running east to west that crosses through Midtown. There's the Lamar bike lane that's already in there that's protected. So we're we're building it. And the more that people use those corridors, you know, the better. The more that drivers see people on bikes, um, biking, will we'll change that perception.
0: Yeah, it's behavioral modification. I mean, that's what I was going towards is that, you know, people think of it in a certain, you know, context. And I think that's where these new experiences, getting out there, seeing different parts of the city, really seeing that, you know, with walkable places and everything else that we've done on an advocacy basis, um, you know, the future's looking really good for, for other ways of, of, you know, getting around Houston. Um, and so... Thank you so much for for being with us today. I know that you know it's an interesting world that we're in right now. Um, one last question I have is is if someone's listening and, and we'll be sure to link b cycle down below um, so people can can find your wonderful nonprofit um, but if they're listening and they're trying to find ways to get involved, um, why did you get involved with your Houston and how can someone really get involved and make a difference
2: yeah I think that you know what? I can only speak kind of for what led me to wanting to be so involved, and you know, I, I think it, it grew out of what I was interested in. Right? Is like, and I think everybody cares about something in going on in your community, um, and in the city and locally. And I really believe in like politics is local, like what you can do, and everything's political. So there's so much that you can do to change and improve the world immediately around you. And there's so many awesome organizations in Houston that you can explore and get to know better to do that. because I was interested in politics, I graduated, you know, from college, was focused on that. i, I when that happened, 2008, a presidential election was going on. So things just piqued my interest and led me there. Um, uh, so your Houston I'm involved in because it's been what I've been interested in is like, what are the political vehicles um, and entities that I can get to know better and get involved with so that I can hear, have a pulse on what's going on, right? Offer my own insight and input and work with others to see positive change happen in the world. That I think is the key. And so what you can expect if you do get involved is you're going to feel very purpose-driven. It's going to be very meaningful and you're going to be more connected to the world around you. And I think all of those are I mean, your life is going to improve from that. You know, I think pandemic, the pandemic has really shown us that we can connect and still um, the world goes on, you know, and there's ways of connecting and still um, protesting and demonstrating and getting involved and paying attention to what's going on in the world. And I think it's more, more critical now than ever.
1: Well, Beth, we really appreciate your time today to discuss these issues uh, and if you're just tuning in, Beth is the executive director for B Cycle Houston, and uh, they are booming right now with ridership. Uh, They're also hiring, and they could use financial support to grow and expand the stations throughout the city. Uh, we really appreciate your time today.
2: Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Beth. Safe riding.
0: This has been another episode of Your Houston. Please have a wonderful weekend. Be safe.